You're listening to All Things Crime, brought to you by Abject Entertainment. Be sure to check out some of the other great true crime podcasts from this network, including The Murder in My Family, Missing Persons, DNA ID, Scene of the Crime, Three Men and a Mystery, and Zodiac Speaking. All of these podcasts are available for you to binge on right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe where you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Warning. All Things Crime is a true crime production that may contain violent or disturbing material. Viewer or listener discretion is advised. For solid forensics evidence, uh, bloodstained, DNA, you know, some of that's up to interpretation, but most of it is just science. And uh, science doesn't care who it's for, the defense or the prosecution. And it doesn't really care uh, what the outcome of the case is. Science is science, and it's um, it, it it shouldn't ever lie. everybody welcome welcome to all things crime another episode thanks for watching and listening and we uh, are so excited to bring you another episode today and we have a special guest on this morning her name is Anita Zanin did I pronounce that right Anita? Zanin. Zanin I knew you know what even if I asked you I knew I would slaughter it so Zanin sorry about that. That's okay. Yeah but As you know, we are here to uh, help educate everybody about the criminal investigation process. And Anita is an expert in blood spatter and blood stain analysis, as well as crime scene. And other, um, she has other areas of expertise, then I'll let her, her explain a lot of that. But, you know, let's start with kind of what your background is, how you got started and what you're doing now. Well, I kind of fell into it by accident. Um, A lot of people have law enforcement backgrounds and things like that that do what I do. Um, My background is primarily medical. I worked in an emergency room for about 17 years and on the donor side of uh, organ and tissue transplant for about 15 years. And when I went back to school, um, I wanted to go for behavioral profiling, that sort of thing, but there really weren't the programs that there are now. And so I ended up in a forensic chemistry program that required uh, an internship. And I knew that I did not want to be in a lab all day. So I ended up doing an internship with um, Herb McDonald, who's widely recognized as the father of bloodstain pattern analysis in this part of the world. And ended up loving it. And here I am 17 years later, still doing it. I, I would have never guessed, like <laughs> I said, 15 years ago that I would be where I am now. And so... Uh, I was in a completely different field, uh, was headed toward management in the pharmaceutical industry. And then one day my dad called me and he said, hey, I need, I want you to come work for me. And so uh, that started a whole chain of events. And uh, we we started with, um, the again, I'm, I know you're familiar with the MVAC and how it, uh, how it works as a, you know, spraying a solution down a vacuum up DNA. Uh, but that started, you may not know, in the food industry. No, so, I did not. 
Yeah, it started with collecting E. coli and salmonella and stuff like that. And wow. yeah, and then I ran into an old college buddy and he said, hey, that'd be great on some of my crime scenes. He, he worked for the FBI at the time. And so, yeah, we pivoted in 2012 and we've been doing it ever since. So, you know, who knows where you're going to be. Yeah, for sure. So talk about uh, where, I, I know with AZ uh, Forensics, you you have different areas of expertise. Talk about some of the things that you do in particular when when an agency would call you for help. Yeah, so my primary areas of expertise are blood stain pattern analysis and crime scene investigation. Um, I have other colleagues that do um, fingerprints, um, and I have a, a wide network of colleagues that I can refer folks to um, if they need other expertise. A lot of times uh, when I evaluate a case, I'll see something and, and suggest that they need another type of expert um, that they may not have thought of. So typically the way it goes is that I'm contacted either by the prosecution, defense, uh, plaintiff or defense, um, or even police departments while they are investigating a case. Um, they kind of give me the rundown on what's going on, and then they send me the materials to review, and I come to an opinion. And um, some, a lot, what a lot of people don't realize is um, that it's pretty common that information provided is either not useful to them or the opinion is in direct contradiction with their theory of the case. And so a lot of people think that experts just say what they're paid to say. And you don't see the cases where um, it, it's not uncommon at all for me to review a case, maybe for the defense and say, well, this isn't so good for your guy. You should probably try and get a plea here. You know, those things never make it into the news, but that happens far more often than I actually go testify. How true is that? There are so many times that I've talked to folks like you and, and even apt, active investigators that they're like, you know, you, the, the best thing is you go where the evidence takes you. And I, right. I in fact, I love that little uh, saying on your website. Um, it said opinions and memories change, but evidence never lies. Something right. to that effect. And I probably butchered that too. So, uh, <laughs> but no, it's, it's totally true because uh, evidence, forensics, solid, solid forensics evidence, uh, blood stain, DNA, you know, some of that's up to interpretation, but most of it is just science. And uh, science doesn't care who it's for the defense or the prosecution. And it doesn't really care uh, what the outcome of the case is. Science is science. And it's, um, it, it, it shouldn't ever lie, right? It, it shouldn't. And, and the science itself doesn't, but some practitioners might, um, you know, whether, whether they lie or they are uneducated or whatever. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is, uh, you know, a lot of times on TV, you hear, oh, it's, it's a circumstantial case. Well, forensic evidence is circumstantial evidence because it, it doesn't tell you the who and the when, you know, eyewitness testimony is direct evidence, but it, all of the other forensic disciplines are, there's an element of subjectivity to them, even DNA, particularly when it comes to mixtures. Subjectivity doesn't necessarily equal bad or unreliable. And just like any other field, you know, there's good forensic scientists and there's bad forensic scientists. There's good lawyers and bad lawyers. And so 
the, the science itself is not problematic, but sometimes there's individual practitioners that can be problematic. So how do you vet that? Well, that's really the lawyer's job to, to vet the experts. Um, but that is often what my job is, is to review an opposing expert's work. And again, it never makes it on the, on the news when my opinion is, nope, this looks fine. There's no problem here. You know, the only things that make it onto the media is, is when we do differ. So maybe explain a little bit, especially in your realm of expertise, how your opinion would differ from somebody else's. In bloodstain pattern analysis, more often than not, there is more than one way a particular pattern can be formed and they look very similar. For instance, um, impact spatter from a gunshot wound can resemble, um, or, or I should say expirated blood that comes out of the nose, mouth, or other white liquid chest wound, anything under air pressure can resemble impact spatter, either from a beating or um, a gunshot wound, depending on the force with which the blood is expelled. Because the greater the force, the smaller the blood stains. So if somebody is really coughing, sneezing, that sort of stuff, it'll be very, very small blood stains, much like we see with um, gunshots. And if they're a little less forceful, it may be a little bigger drops like we see with beatings and even really large drops if maybe their face is laying in a pool of blood and they're just barely breathing into it will get very large stains. So you have to really take into consideration all possible mechanisms. Um, I have a case right now where somebody was shot in the neck. So we've got um, arterial spurting, we've got forward spatter, back spatter, satellite spatter, which is when blood drips into blood and you get the, the tiny spatters all around the, the major pool of blood and expirated blood. All of those things can have a very similar size, shape and distribution. So if you can't rule out those mechanisms, you have to include them as possibilities in, in your opinions. And sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes somebody can get kind of tunnel vision or maybe they don't realize that that one of the mechanisms is possible and, and that sort of thing. So how long did it take you to actually become confident in this kind of a, especially in blood spatter? I would say years um, because there's, there's so many variables. And even now, you know, I, I double check things with colleagues and get their input because, you know, as long as there's humans involved in the process, we can't think of every single thing, you know, and it's always good to have another perspective and, and to see if there's another way to look at it that you, that you didn't consider. Right. So what, what would you consider to be the most difficult type of blood spatter to uh, identify? That's a good question. I think, um, I think the cases where there are multiple overlapping patterns and victims can be difficult and sometimes impossible to interpret. Hmm. So I had a case in, um, I want to say it was South Africa that, that we were discussing and it was a double homicide. The two victims were related, uh, a, a mom and a daughter, and they, they were laying in a bed and they were, they were, essentially attacked with um, an axe. And so the um, obviously the blood spatter was everywhere. 
you know, on the walls, on the ceiling. And the interesting thing about it was there was a dresser next to the bed. And based on where the suspect was standing, the, the blood spatter on that dresser was really minimal. And just the assumption is the, the suspect was standing there the majority of the time. And, um, as, and it was, the suspect was actually a female. So it, wow. it was a female on double female homicide. And I, I think that's fairly rare by itself, but the, um, the way that they determined, uh, I, well, obviously there was a lot of, a, a lot of determinations coming out of there, but, uh, one of the biggest ones was that the suspect is, was standing in front of that, uh, chest of drawers, basically the majority of the time, obviously you would need to see pictures and all sorts of things, but just based on that scenario, is there anything that you would, uh, you, you, not interpret, but anything that you would expect on, on blood spatter, you know, analysis and patterns that you would expect from that? I'm Mike Morford, and I've been researching the Zodiac case for years. Zodiac, just the name. It sounds sinister. It inspires fear. The fact that a serial killer would give himself this moniker is disturbing. He would go on to taunt police by sending letters and codes to newspapers for years. And the attacks, they were something else altogether. If you were a young couple in a secluded area, you could easily be a target. And it wasn't just shootings on dark lovers' lanes. Zodiac would even attack with a knife in broad daylight while wearing an executioner-style hood. After a while, Zodiac changed tactics, and even lone cab drivers weren't safe. The Zodiac killer terrorized the San Francisco Bay Area and then vanished, but he left a lot of clues behind along the way. Clues that we're going to examine closely on the new podcast, Zodiac Speaking. New episodes of Zodiac Speaking come out every other Saturday starting March 13, 2021. Subscribe today wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. Um, well, what you're describing is, is a relative void, you know, and that's where something blocks the deposition of blood on another object. Um, and, and therefore, you might expect your suspect to be covered in blood. Um, so in, in that sort of scenario, you would expect to see impact spatter, cast off, um, you know, depending on where their injuries were and how long they survived, potentially expirated blood. Uh, I just had a thought that completely derailed. <laughs> oh, well, while you're thinking of it, it, yeah. it, it never works to, you know, think, think about it too much. So, of um, when you, you said, uh, impact spatter, mm -hmm. so kind of briefly describe what, what those are. So impact spatter is when a source of liquid blood has an external force applied to it. Um, back in the early days, um, it used to be categorized as low velocity impact spatter, medium velocity impact spatter, and high velocity impact spatter. And those were characterized by the um, amount of force that uh, impacted the blood, not the velocity that the blood was traveling. So low would be approximately five to 25 feet per second, medium would be um, 25 to 75, and uh, high would be greater than 100 feet per second. But because there's such overlap in the categories and, and the way those patterns can appear, 
they've gotten away from describing it as low, medium, and high velocity impact spatter, and it's just called impact spatter, and then consistent with a gunshot wound or consistent with a beating, consistent with a stabbing, that sort of thing. So a stabbing would be high impact or low impact? Nope. If, if we went with that categorization, it would be medium, but we would just say it's impact spatter consistent with a stabbing. Okay. So this one would be impact spatting or impact um, spatter mm-hmm. um, consistent with a, an ax. Um, and I, I think the investigators in it, obviously there was blood everywhere, but um, the, I think the investigators were, were especially surprised at how much blood was even on the ceiling. How would it, how would it get up there? Uh, that's from cast off. And, and that happens, um, when an object covered in blood is swung by the, uh, the, as you swing it, it comes off of the, the object uh, by the centrifugal force. And each time the object comes down, the blood is replenished on the object. So you get um, changing directionalities with the upswing and the downswing. And there are some specific characteristics that we look for, um, such as the changing directionality, the um, uh, at each point where the object is 90 degrees from the surface, we'll have round drops. And some people call those pivot points because then the directionality starts to change in the other way. Um, And there's typically a linear distribution, but how that appears depends on the the surface area from which the blood is is cast. So like something from a knife, it's gonna be very, thin and linear versus like a baseball bat. It has a much larger surface area. So the cast off pattern might be a lot wider, although still linear. That is so interesting. There are just so many different factors that go into every, every kind of crime like this. Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, every, every crime scene. Uh, and, and that's one of the things that I think people are so fascinated with is that every crime scene is its own puzzle. Right. And the expertise needed to actually walk into a crime scene and say, yes, you know, I can actually process this versus, you know, I'm way in over my head just based on looking at this. So, um, which brings up a good question, I think. What, in your mind, when you are giving classes and things like that, is there any kind of a point when you recommend to crime scene investigators say, look, if you're uncomfortable, you need to stop and call for help, you know, or something like that. Is that, is there any kind of a, a trigger point that people need to, to be aware of? Well, that's a really great question. Um, I think that kind of opens a bigger can of worms here. So step on my soapbox for a minute. Um, I love soapboxes. Bring it on. (laughs) Well, how long do we have? (laughs) Um, So, you know, according to the rules of evidence, um, somebody's an expert if they have knowledge that's greater than that of the average person by knowledge, education, training, experience. So somebody that has taken a basic 40-hour blood stain course can be accepted as an expert. Now, basic 40-hour courses do not make you an expert in the field. 
And everybody I know that teaches them tells their students that what they do, you're creating um, patterns under ideal circumstances in a laboratory, you know, and learning about them under ideal circumstances, not in the life or death struggle of a crime scene. And so what a 40 hour course allows you to do is to be able to identify some basic patterns, document them properly and photograph them properly for an expert. Um, and unfortunately, whether it's pressures from departments or things like that, um, folks kind of get pushed into uh, going further than maybe they should in, in their analysis and what they can do with it. Well, we sent you to that class, you should be able to do this. So, you know, there's there's a lot of things that go into it. And, and obviously every person's tolerance is gonna be a little bit different based on their training, education and experience. So I think whenever they feel like they're in over their head, um, they need to try and get help. And what, whether they get it or not is of course another story. Um, but knowing your own limitations is, is really huge. And, and being able to take a step back and say, you know what, this is too much for me instead of trying to slog your way through it. Because, you know, once it's done, once you're done with that scene, that's the only chance you get. And, you know, you don't want 20 years down the line stuff being reversed and all of that because you didn't have the the wherewithal to say you know what this is too much for me yeah in many ways i look at processing evidence or investigations um almost the same way that some of these guys especially i i'm a veteran and so i i was in the the army for a number of years and uh there's a lot of guys that i know and hear of where they'll look at like PTSD and things like that after extremely traumatic events. And in, in many ways, they're, they're just kind of like, you know, I'm just going to gut my way through it. And what, what I think we're learning more and more is that the, the true strength comes when they actually make that decision to get help. Yes. And, I, and I think that's kind of a human nature is that, especially if we have any, any level of expertise in a certain area, the, the last thing we want to do is appear weak and that we need, that we're unqualified, that we need, need help in a certain area. And regardless whether it's psychological or physical, or in this case, crime scenes. And I think that, um, like you said, some people, um, they've gone through a basic course. And so they may be pressured to say, you know, Hey, look, you know, we can, we can handle this, but, uh, I think the true strength comes from when somebody said, and, and I'm not saying like a 12 year old or a 12 year, 12 year old, <laughs> a 12 year, uh, you know, crime scene investigator veteran, you know, needs to stop and, and call, you know, other experts all the time, but that for a major case, the, the, the true strength to me is saying, you know what, let's just make sure we do it right. 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 And first of all, thank you for your service. Oh, you're uh, welcome. And you kind of bring up another point with PTSD that I think is probably worth talking about as, as well. Um, you know, when I 
grew up through the emergency room and things like that, it was very much the same thing that no matter what we saw dealt with, you just suck it up and go on to the next one and nobody talked about it. And I think that that is shifting in a lot of agencies. And, you know, there's a recognition that's, that this repeated exposure to really awful things affects us. And, and they make their resources available, which I think is a good thing and, and would encourage people to, you know, when you start dreaming about your job, it's probably time to talk to somebody. Yeah. Well, there's a, uh, do you know Dr. Lee Miller? I don't. Okay. He's a, uh, how do you even describe Dr. Miller? I mean, he has expertise in, uh, serial killings and rapings and the really major stuff. And I, I had just an amazing conversation with him. Well, I've had multiple major, you know, conversations with him, but particularly here on uh, all things crime. And he was talking about the two different areas of, especially uh, investigating criminal matters is there's, there's what he calls the sewer, which is just all the garbage that you see everything from like what we're talking about, you know, major blood spatters to, because that, well, okay. And then, so that's the major, just the, the physical aspects of it. And then he calls it the abyss, which is kind of the why behind it. And I think that the abyss, uh, trying to understand something, especially if there is no understanding, uh, as humans and as people, as moms and dads and brothers and sisters, and, you know, just humans in general, a lot of this stuff, we just can't comprehend, especially if we're looking at it through normal people eyes. And, you know, these, these officers and, and investigators and detectives and, you know, blood, blood spatter experts like yourself, it takes a toll just like, you know, all those that are working in the emergency room. Uh, I, I've talked to mo- multiple nurses and ER t- uh, folks that were working through COVID that the added stress and the added pressure of, especially the unknown, you know, back a year, you know, a year or more uh, ago, we really didn't know much about COVID. And so the, the stress was just unbelievable. Right. And you know, they see people dying everywhere. And, you know, just relating to that, I think is, is really, really impactful on people, which is why only a select few can actually do it. Thank you for listening to All Things Crime. We are so grateful for all of our listeners. If you enjoyed this, please give us a positive review so other people can find it as well. Have an amazing All Things Crime day.